Caution. Learning in progress. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Smarter Every Season. On this show of the podcast, um, we are going to be sitting down and talking about meters and meter testing, most likely. My name is Hans Stutzman, and with me today in the studio is Paul Harms. Good morning, good afternoon, or whenever you're getting us. Yeah, whenever you get this. The cool thing about these is that you can get them whenever. Paul, I'm excited about this one. Today we are sitting down, um, kind of a little bit more pertinent to what's going on throughout the current event of the winter months. We are talking meter testing. And with us today, we have Brian Jackson with us. Brian's been here for, we were talking about it, six years now? Is that yep, right? Yep, going on six years now. Six years. Brian's been kind of a, a wide-ranging product support member. He's done a lot of different things, but he's been a part of Meters for probably four or five years. Yeah, I've always, even from the start, been kind of close to Meters, kind of working with V-Drive motors. So, yeah, I always had a, a hand in, in Meters in some form. Yep. So we are going to take a look at what January, February, sorry, we were talking a little bit about what this podcast would be in um, January, February months. um, I have my show notes equals meter testing. And that's kind of what our dealers are are running into. You talk to a dealer today and a lot of them are saying, yeah, we're we're snowed under trying to get meters done before spring. And so we're going to kind of come back and and talk about some of that aspect of what what's going on with meters testing. Why are guys testing meters? Kind of just some tips that you guys have from the meter room and from your experience working with, with the, the different precision planning meters and, and other OEMs. So kind of, I think one of the first questions is why should dealers target customers to have their meters ran? What's the, what's their goal behind this? Yeah. I mean, if you think about what that meter's job is, is to perfectly try to perfectly place that seat every time. So without testing a meter, you may not have the visibility, you know, going to the field to see what that meter is capable of doing. So the, the biggest thing I think know, to have a meter run every year is to just get the best performance possible out of that meter. So a, a lot of times when I'll, when I'll talk to dealers, they'll be bringing seed in like a grower will be with their meters. Cause like, this is the seed I'm planting. These are my meters. I can run those together and see how they're, those are going to perform on the meter stand. And more or less in that aspect of it, me running every year, you're matching the seed to the meter that you're running, trying mm-hmm. to fine tune the meter to match um, well, actually, not match the seed. Match the meter to the seed. You're trying to make sure that your meter can handle the seed that you got this year from your seedsman because it may be the highest yielding thing, but maybe it's a challenge to plant. So you want to make sure that your hardware is set up to tackle the seed you've been given. Correct. Yeah, that's definitely true. And that's actually going to make it more of a challenge for some of our dealers because a lot of guys are we're, we're the first week of February or second week of February have barely started getting seed at this point. And so that makes it more of a challenge to fine-tune a meter at this point. So... Are there any, let me, let me jump in and rabbit trail this a bit. Are there any meters that are a higher priority that, that create a, uh, a stronger return on investment for the customer by getting their meter serviced every year and some that, hey, you can let pass? Or do you say, no matter what the meter type, always get it, go, always get it inspected? Yeah, I mean, I guess if I want to ensure the best performance, I want to try to run them every year. You know, doesn't matter what meter type it is, I want to run them every year. The thing that I need to remember, though, is if I look at a finger meter versus a V-set vac meter, okay, there's a lot more moving parts with a finger meter. So if you think about the drive, the cam, the fingers running around, and then if I take that meter apart to check, you know, are my flags worn or anything like that, and I put it back together, how do I know? I can't visually see 
that meter is torqued to the correct inch pounds. So to, to actually get that one correct, I need to run it on a meter stand. Yeah, so in that case, I want to run a finger meter every year. But if I have a V-set meter, there's a chance where I could maybe push that every couple years. And I think that's what a lot of people do, a lot of growers. You talk to dealerships now, and they say they don't run near the amount of meters in an off-season that they used to. That's because they used to have a lot more finger meters out in the field. Everyone was bringing those finger meters in to run. Now they have V-sets, E-sets, where they don't run them as much on a meter stand. So I can take a V-set, look at it after I take it apart, and see if my singulator's worn or if my knockout or see if my ejector needs to be changed. And then I can snap it back together and put it on my hopper. There's no setting that I have to do when I put it back together. Like with the finger meter where I have to put it on a stand and actually set that rolling torque again. There's just a lot less moving parts to a V-set meter. The the wear parts, the potential for things to go wrong in the course of one year is a lot less with your finger meter. Yeah, exactly. And then there's less fine-tuning adjustments. You're, you're better, you're likely to be able to plant any hybrid without having to test it to make sure it'll run, without having to make an adjustment to it. With the finger meter, you got to at least adjust the brush or something along those lines with the finger meter. Right, yeah, and with the V-set being a floating singulator on the disc, it's a lot easier to do than I get this seed, put it in my finger meter, and then I have to adjust that brush. So you're talking about cha- taking a V-set or a vacuum or an E-set, mm-hmm. and I would assume the same goes for an OEM meter, a John Deere, or a CNH that's going to be a vacuum. Those are going to be lower maintenance levels than a, than a mechanical meter, like a finger meter. Yeah. So V-set on the high end, you're saying we can get by with some intervals of just a visual inspection is good enough. Finger meters we definitely need to do every year, but what if I'm like what if you're farming ten times the acres I am? Put it in a number of acres. Can can you quantify it down to a number of acres? I don't know if I actually have a row acre number that I can go off of. I mean, how much of it is is purely environmental? I think there's a lot of it too. And I mean finger meters are gonna be that way too. Right? If I'm in a sandier condition, those are gonna wear sandy dust wears faster than than I, I would in something that's not so abrasive. The seed seed oil, seed treatment and also seed type would also make a difference on that. There are certain uh, seed yeah, treatments guess, would wear things a lot faster. Yes, if I got I guess if I got a really thick, heavy, you know, cruiser the 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 extra the what is the poncho or acceleron fifty, yeah. Or the acceleron big thick yeah. coating on there, that could yeah. do it. Yeah. So again, I like the idea of having a meter run every year, if possible. Okay. But if I could maybe get by without doing that, it's gonna be on a vac meter like a V-set, like an E-set. So we've talked about E-set, V-set, and finger meters. What about a V-drive and a speed tube? Are these worth testing, bringing in? We have a lot of guys that are running those as well. Um, Do those need to be ran with the meter, or is there a way to test those every year to to kind of ensure they're going to work or not? Yeah, and again, that's going to be a good idea to have those run because when I'm running those V-drive motors or a speed tube motor on the speed tube, I'm going to be testing that motor health and the bearing health of that of that motor in each one, speed tube or V-drive. So that's why it's important, you know, get it on the stand, run, check stability, check amp draw, and see what those numbers are. So you're checking the health of the V-drive and the speed tube based on what the current draw is, based on how essentially what it's going to on the motor side of that. Right, yeah. So it may not be exact when I'm running on a meter stand versus on your planter, but I should be able to get it set up pretty close to say, 
this meter has too many shims in it because I'm pulling too many amps. I need to pull a shim out. Right. Yeah. And then you can also you are you then taking like the speed tube as far as the 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 feeder wheels and the belt wear as well. Yeah, I mean that's going to be you can visually check the feeder wheels to see how what kind of shape those are in. Do I have any missing flights on my belt before I put it on the stand? If everything looks good, then I can put it on and see how that speed tube interacts with the seat as it's coming off the meter. Just for beginners, I want to come back to you mentioned running higher amps, too many shims on a V-set. I'm going to explain that for anybody who, or, or ask you to explain where does that come from for somebody, for a new uh, tech or, or new dealer, someone who's never been in this scenario before. Explain that out. Just, just where does torque is the driver of the higher current, right? So, well, voltage is in there too. What shims are you talking about? Explain that. To <clears throat> yeah, give so, details there. So there's shims that go on the back side of the disc, and then on the bottom of my V-set housing, so the side that houses the disc, I can actually push that disc down and see where it lands in a little sight gauge that's at the bottom. Okay. And that's kind of a no, a go or no-go uh, sight gauge. Okay. So if I can simulate VAC, hold my disc down, and my disc falls within that little window, then I know that I'm shimmed correctly for, for running that meter. Okay, so you're talking about the, the seal on the backside. It's going to have vacuum under load when we're normally operating. We're going to pull that disc in and against, and we're controlling how far that disc can pull towards that seal with the number of shims we put underneath there. If we get too many or too few, we get that shim number wrong, that can make it harder to turn that meter. And our motor, if, if it's driven by V-Drive, has to be working harder and harder work in an electrical system is torque or current so your your current drive the number of amps would go up that's that's where i want to go in case you got a new guy that's that's never experienced that mm-hmm. the other that's also another awesome part about being able to test v, v drive and v set together mm-hmm. is unlike a standard meter that's driven by a chain i get to test and validate the drive system the whole drive system yeah and that's a key part of it you simplify yeah. the whole drive system down to where that prevents less infield situations because you're testing the whole system in the test and in the shop. Yeah. So then if I take that meter and speed tube to the field and on that planner I'm struggling, I could then be confident in saying I already ran these on a meter stand. I know the performance of this was very high. So what changed from then until now. Okay. You're getting way ahead of in the podcast, but this is perfect. I like where you're going with it because now you've, you've transitioned in that, that context there. You transitioned from just testing the meter in the shop and getting it good there. You now took this to springtime when we're in field and we're running the planner and we're getting complaints about a performance issue with cedar with the, with the meter itself, whether that's singulation or spacing. And now we're able to, you're going back and saying, okay, this was running fine in spring or before we took it to the field, and we had V-Drive and speed tube, so the drive mechanism should be the same. What's different? And the other context of that would be you now have the ability to take the test stand and test a meter in field to help prove whether it's a meter issue or a, a drive issue. Yes, Paul? So you touched on it of we have a known good set of equipment and hardware that we bench tested, and it's not performing in the field. Give me the list. Give me the rundown in your head of the variables that are present in the field that weren't in the lab. Yeah, so um, we touched one one thing, which have been voltage. So maybe on the meter stand in the shop, everything looked good. I'm running, you know, 12 volts or higher, 
and my amp draws are within a uh, an acceptable range of what they should be. Okay, I then go to the field, and my voltage is running around ten. So right? low voltage scenario. So low voltage. Maybe now I'm getting a low voltage pop up on the screen, or maybe my amperage seems to be running a little bit higher than what I would expect. Okay. I don't think it's anything physically wrong with the meter because I ran it on the stand with a higher voltage and everything was acceptable. So something changed from then until now. Okay, first one was power, 12-volt power supply. We had good access, 110 in the shop. Now we're something different on a mobile platform in the field. What's our next variable? Um, So I guess it could be, too, some differences in seed. Like if I tested with one seed... And now I'm in the field and I've, you know, planted multiple seeds, three, four different hybrids. Potentially something could be different with that. Maybe a different seed coating. Maybe I'm not running as much e-flow as I was uh, running in the shop. You know, things like that could potentially cause a difference in, in performance. Okay, you did two. It's your turn, Hans. What's, turn? Your, what's your next variable? Um, I think one of mine would actually be the vacuum itself, the vacuum system that goes into it. Based on what your vacuum's running... Well, you're doing one row testing in the shop, you're kind of set the vacuum at 20 or whatever you think it mm-hmm. is. Out on the row in the planter, you could have a, a high delta of pressure from where the vacuum, what's it close to the vac- vacuum blower? Or is it all the way at the end of the vacuum? Do you have a problem with the row unit hose, plugged vacuum? Uh, maybe you're running a lower vac than what you think you are on the planter. So that's probably another one I'm thinking of. Paul, you got one stored up somewhere in your head. I would also, oops, oh, go ahead. So I, I would also say maybe good ride were to come into that as well so in the shop i'm a static meter speed tube right now i'm in the field what's that row unit doing compared to what it was doing in the shop it's moving a lot more you stole my thunder that's exactly where my mind went was i'm doing bench test it's a bench it's not moving it's stationary. We're in the field. I've got the row cleaners that are bouncing over clods. I'm trying to hold it as I go over a hilltop. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I got by in the lab with a great ex- great performance at 18 inches of water column for my vacuum. But I'm in the field, the field, I'm bouncing like across. That. I got to run 21. So, yeah. yeah no, that, so, recap on the list. Power supply, the variables that really change. I know I've known good hardware of meter and delivery system. I take it to the field, and on the planner, I start to struggle. My my variables, primary variables to check first and in order would be, do I have the power supply? And we're in our heads thinking V-drive, speed tube in this conversation. Differences in the seed, so characteristics of the seed versus what you tested, and seed supply, maybe you didn't test it with the hopper on or the CCS delivery getting it to you. Vacuum, and then movement, shake, hop, bouncing of the real unit. I think one more thing in that combination that's also I would add to that list is the fitment of the meter to the speed tube in that scenario because um, you're testing it in the meter stand, which does not have the same hopper mounts and bottom end to hold the speed tube. And so that mating surfaces are actually a very key part of that that handoff between the meter and the speed tube. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. All right. So appreciate it, Paul. That is a great, great, <laughs> great side trail where we're going off a rabbit trail where we're headed with it. But um, I really, I think that's a cool, uh, a unique thing about our testing is the ability to test a meter in field to get good known working components and distinguish whether it's a meter issue or is it more of a, um, if you're not doing speed tube and, and V drive, um, is it a chain, a chain issue?
a, a bearing issue. Um, kind of that broader aspect of what what we could run across with those. Moving off of that a little bit, um, this is also kind of the time of year um, kind of coming up and is when we get a lot of guys calling in about specialty crops. Kind of what's your approach to specialty crops? Yeah, so typically the first thing I need to know is basically a, a size. So a seeds per pound um, is going to be a good starting point because if I can get that, we've got kind of a database kind of built up with our crop setup guide. So with that crop setup guide, it gives us a basic seeds per pound and then kind of um, aligns it with a disc. So if I can get a specialty crop seeds per pound, then I know um, from them the population, the speed that they want to plant at and row spacing, I can populate how many seeds per second or about what kind of a holes per disc I'm going to need to have. To handle that type of population, because right. that, and you're, you're going off of the seeds per second because that makes a big difference on how fast we spin the disc. Yeah, yep. So, and then based off of that, then I have my whole size close to it, and then I can also get my number of holes. I don't want to overspin the meter, and I don't want to have my meter spinning so slow that I can't, I'm unstable. So. Right. That's the biggest thing that I'm looking for. And then I'm going to run it on a meter stand. So once I get the disc that I, I feel like is going to be the correct one, I'll go ahead and run it on a meter stand and see how it performs. And just verify what you basically you're, you're testing your theory of whether this is probably the right size for this, for this crop. Right. And, and if I think that maybe I run it the first time, maybe performance isn't quite what I think it should be, then I could potentially, you know, start making some changes to the plate or maybe switch out a couple different singulators Go to just to see group. which one's going to run the best. Or change vacuums or ba- yep. along that line of what, but you're basically taking a, a crop. So you're starting with basically kind of on the history of what you've worked off of and then also what the crop setup guide is. Correct, yeah. And, and there's also just a lot of value that comes from just running different crops on the meter stand and watching them. So I like to use a a meter with a hole cut out in the top. So I can use a camera, slow it down, and actually replay and see how the seed's interacting in the singulator, how it's interacting at the drop. I can see that a lot of times on like a kidney-shaped seed or a spiked seed, a lot of times those end load. So in that case, a lot of times the hole size needs to be a little bit smaller and maybe I run a little bit higher back. So there's a lot of different variables that go into that, but there's things that you can change to try to get it to run a little bit better. Before we get into those variables, I got to ask the question of what your wife thinks of the hours of slow-mo video of seeds rolling on a disc are like in your iCloud chain. I've got a lot of them. (laughs) So that's actually a cool point, though, because you're actually doing it on your iPhone most of the time. Yeah, yeah. I've got a lot of videos on my phone right now from different crops. (laughs) Yeah. You mentioned something here, and I think it's worth mentioning a little bit. You talked about end loading a seed, and I think that's actually, let's explain that just a little bit, kind of what you're referring to when you say end loading. Yeah, so if you think about a soybean's pretty much round, corn seed is relatively round in shape, but it it kind of has more of a a pointed area on one side. Green beans are very kidney-shaped. So when I say end load, it's not going to sit sideways or long ways on the plate. A lot of times, it's going to, the end is going to go towards the hole. And it basically and the sticks back. straight out then away from the disc. Correct, yeah. 
So in that case, I don't want, because my my surface area of that seed is a lot smaller on the end than it is laying like width-wise, my hole should be a little bit smaller because if it's too big, then I'm going to hold multiple seeds and load it on that hole. Hole rather than across, even though the size of the seed is, the seed is much bigger. Yeah. So then clarifying on that then is, is that not only is seed size a big issue, but shape actually makes a big part of that as well. Understanding the shape of the seed you know, it will be a big part of these guys helping decide what disc or disc size to use. Yeah, exactly. So like I said, I like to start with the seeds per pound. But then I look at the shape, shape and try to see how I think it's going to load or also run it and see how it loads. And how it loads. Okay. Running it to see how it actually loads. Yeah. Just because we think it does that doesn't mean it's going to. Yeah, because then there's also some times where if I have a seed that doesn't end load, how does that affect the other seeds? So if it's a longer seed that end loads, maybe that's not a big deal. But if it does lay on the side and load and it's long enough, it can actually knock seeds off of a hole next to it. So in that case, I need to make sure that my holes per disc are less so I've got more space in between each hole. So there at that point, you're balancing the, the speed of the disc versus the distance between the holes to make sure you can put the size of seed on there that you need to. Correct, because if I take a, some holes away from my disc, then that means to hit that same population, I have to spin my disc faster. So what happens then to the seed as I spin it faster? And some of that is based off of experience. I've seen you and others approach, hey, get a new seed in, never never seen it before, and, and lay it on a table and kind of spread it out, see how much variation there is between the seeds, and then take a few of those seeds. And it, it kind of looks weird, but it looks like you're, you're just trying to you know, shove a square peg in a round hole, and you're putting it in the hole on a disc. And I can remember back asking Uncle Kenny, a long time ago for some kind of heuristic of, of rule of thumb, right? What are you, what are you doing? What magic are you looking at or, or that are you seeing? Cause I just see you poking a seed at a hole. Right. And he always came back and said, no more than a third of the seed should ever extend past the plane of the hole or should go down into that hole. Does that match your experience? I know you've had a closer touch than I have recently. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to pretend to be on an uncle Kenny level right now uh, either, but it does seem a, that that's pretty close because if it is, you know, too small, like I was saying before, it's going to get multiples on that disc, whether it's end loading or not. Let's rabbit trail on this one. You mentioned not on Uncle Kenny level, and I get that. And and for anybody who's coming along later on or doesn't know the backstory, Uncle Kenny was the first meter expert within precision planning. Uh, it was it was our founder Greg Sauter's uh, uncle. That's why we call him Uncle Kenny. He ended up being everyone's uncle. And he had a, a, a scientific knowledge that would became art when it came to meters. And he tried to pass off as much of that knowledge internally to the company and, and a lot to our department here in product support of just learning and understanding and knowing how meters work. We have had a couple leads. Uh, so Brandon uh, learned directly from Kenny. You came on at the same time, uh, have always been very close in on meters with MSET. Set select, mm-hmm. V drive. Now the meters are your full run, and you've gotten a chance to really take advantage of what you mentioned earlier of just spending time playing around on a meter stand and learning by experience. Tell me about some of that process, where you're going, what's your what's Yeah, so we have the different crop setup guides on the cloud, right? That what? gives you a basic seats per pound. 
a disc to use, what crop kit to use. That's the good starting point for guys. If you get a new seed type in, that's the good starting point for you guys. Exactly. So we that's where we think that seed is going to run best on that crop kit. What we don't say and, and what can be kind of hard to say at times is what's the performance going to be? So, yeah, I want to shoot on a finger meter for 98, 6, and up for corn. V-set, I want to be at 99, 5, and above is, is my goal, what I want to shoot for. Okay? But with cucumbers, if somebody calls in, what's the performance I should expect with cucumbers? That's something that we don't have. So we're working on building something as to say this isn't going to be an exact but, but this is a range. This, this should a- be a an expected range. So what we'll do here is we'll run, I'll say cucumbers. We'll run cucumbers from five seeds a second all the way up to maybe 100 seeds per second, maybe even higher than that. I don't remember what the, the high range is that we actually go to. It's, it's more capped on what our meter performance or what our meter min and max can do. And then we'll just run three different runs at each speed and at different VACs to see which one's going to run the best. So we're try- kind of building that range from a low speed to a high speed and the performance that could come out of that, whether you go slow or go fast. Because the performance of it's going to be very dependent on population, planting speed, and row spacings. Right, and that's kind of why we're using seats per second, because seats per second can be the same on a 30-inch a as it is on a 20. It's just, just different population, different, population different. different speed. So by going seats per second, we can somewhat predict whether, you know, you call in with a 30-inch planter and give me the population, I can see where that falls on a seats per second compared to somebody else calling in with a 20-inch planter and where that one falls. So that, But that's just a, a good baseline and a range of what guys could expect off of that then. Yeah, so the goal is to kind of build this database so somebody can say, I want to plant cucumbers. It shows this is the crop kit I should use, but what kind of performance should I expect? And we can say, okay, this is the meter, this is the crop, this is what we saw, okay? It may not be exactly what you hit because your seed may be a little bit different than what we have, but this is a, a good range to to expect. Two caveats that I know that kind of have glazed over just from the conversation here. One, it's not just three, three runs at each seeds per second. A lot of times I notice you're spending significant amount of time at each seeds per second tweaking performance then you're doing three replications, so the numbers we store and build aren't, uh, you know, adjusted or or have any errors in them from uh, a misload on a seed, one seed here or something. You get some consistency, but you're already tweaking for best performance out of every case along that entire curve. Yeah, so I'll make sure on my on my meter stand, I have it set up for a thousand seed runs. So if I'm running and dialing it in for the best performance, I'll always stop it short of a 1,000 seed runs. So that way when I go back and look at all of these lines at X seeds per second, I can say here's a 1,000 seed run, here's a 1,000 seed run, and here's a 1,000 seed run. I have five that were not 1,000 seed runs. That means those are ones that I was tw- were, like I was tweaking on those runs okay so you've built some habit and process for you Correct. as you're going through yep yeah and that's your that's your flag 
So that was one part of it. And then the other part is it's not just all of this for one seed going through the full seed range. You're also doing this as many samples, small seed cucumbers, large seed cucumbers, as many as as many variables as possible. Yeah, different different seed sizes, different meters. So uh, Roger Musselman's been running a lot of different sunflowers okay. on finger meters. So he's run from size one, I believe, all the way up to size four okay. across finger meters. He's also run some different trials with a 60-hole disc on E-sets and run through to see what our min and max rate are before we start losing performance. Paul, just listen to him talk about all this makes me think back to our second podcast with, uh, uh, with YieldSense. And listen to Will talk about all the man hours that are built into the error curves and yield sense. And this is kind of some of the same thing. We're building the error curve and what the recommendations are for these different crops and these different meter types. Yeah, it's it's a performance curve that you're creating for each crop and seed type. That's not a small thing. So it's impressive. This is this is no, kind of has me excited to hear it. We've got quite a few lines of runs that we've got kind of built up in our uh, Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> Well, I'm excited to see when that comes uh, out in a packaged tool. Yeah, yeah, we're we're definitely excited for it too. It's really good. I'm. It's good to hear. Moving on a little bit, what are the various ways get dealers are t- setting up the test meters? This is kind of a each dealer does it differently. What are some of the setups that you've heard of guys doing? Um, kind of sort of maybe there's a have you heard the the rates the guys are charging? Um, are they doing like a base fee or a a flat fee plus parts? Kind of what you what have you heard for these guys? Yeah, so from from what I've kind of gathered from a lot of different conversations that I've had, none of them seem to be doing it the exact same. Yeah, so there's some that will charge per meter, and then if there's an issue with that meter, they'll, they'll have to pay for the parts, parts to get go with it fixed. It. So basically a, a, right. base, a base price to open the meter up and run it, to put Correct. on the test stand. Yep, yeah. So if there's nothing wrong with it, they run it. Yep, this one's good. And some people will do it differently. I think most of them will run a run a meter a few times. So they may run a meter three times. If it's a finger meter and it's above that 98.5, 98.6 running corn three times in a row, that one's good. If it's not, this one needs to be tweaked. Something's worn. We're going to dig into this one a little bit. We've also talked a lot about like some dealerships will do service plans. So for a planter, they'll do a service plan, say... You sign this contract. I'll come out, look over your planner. This is the checklist I'm going to use. I'm going to go through every bit of where items on that planner. And some guys, I want to talk to them, they're throwing meters in that as well. Into the service plan for the year for the for these guys. So that would also, a lot of times those service plans would include a 2020 if they're running that, or V-Drive, setups, kind of that whole, that whole list of stuff. Is that correct? Right, because, I mean, if you think about it, if this doesn't get done, when are they going to find out if they have a meter problem? First day in the field. And that's when they're very busy at that point anyway. So if they can kind of encourage growers to say, hey, I've got this plan. I'll run through your meters now so that in the middle of spring or the beginning of spring, you know, maybe you had an issue last year. You just don't remember it, right? So you have an issue the last field. I'm just going to put my planner away. I'm not going to worry about it. Okay. But that's when you find out or remember like, oh yeah, I did have a problem with my meter last year. That's actually kind of good because that actually allows some of these dealers then to pull some of the meter 
the the volume of meters that they're trying to test, they could probably pull some of that into the fall or even into summer rather than trying to wait until March and February to run these guys as meters if they got a service plan on them. Yeah, and that's that's another big positive for getting that that service plan. You know, it's it's already built into the package. So it doesn't matter. The grower doesn't care when it gets done as long as it gets done, done, right? So that's another big positive thing going forward if they if they can get a service plan in, included. So we're all operating on the common assumption of knowledge here of that there is a strong value to ensuring meter performance that comes from maintaining good performance on singulation and spacing, right? Yeah, so I think it, it depends a little bit on skips or multiples. Um, I think one is like 1.1 and the other one's like 0.8. Okay. So in general, about for every 1% of singulation performance drop, it's going to cost you a bushel to bushel and a half. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I've seen studies anywhere one to two. Okay. Typically. I think that changes by year, it seems like. But it's always around that one to two. Sweat. So you're going to do some quick math here. Let's let's figure a bushel an acre on on let's say 1500 acres on 16 meters. Well, figure well. So 1500 1500 acres on a bushel well, an acre. Mean, I mean you just say 1000 bu- 1000 acres. 1000 acres. Right? And if you gain one bushel, 1000 bushels, right? So semi load. Yeah. Yeah. Times $4. Yeah, roughly 4. It's an amazing analogy I've never heard before of to the customer of, how would you like to have an extra semi load at the end of the year? Yeah, that's it's, it. Depends on what kind of semi you're hauling. It's a little more than a semi load, but it's close. Even if you're, even if you're, no gracious. one's talking legal weights though. Okay, because <laughs> there is not many places you can get legal weight on a thousand bushels. I got you. But but still, the whole mindset is there's it's the agronomic solution of maintaining singulation and spacing performance, safeguards our yield, and that's why the investment in the service ahead of time. And the, not just the service, but the calibration is so key. Correct. So one thing, um, go back a little bit to what dealers are doing. Do you know a lot of guys that are doing, or, or, and this is within the service fee, this is just some ideas I'm talking about. I know some guys like to put it on a trailer. Some guys like to do bring all the meters in the shop. Have you heard much from guys saying where they're going out to the grower spot and doing the testing there versus doing meter t- testing in-house? Yeah, there's still quite a few that do both, I think, from what I've seen. I mean, there's a lot of dealerships out there that they have a trailer set up with not only parts but they'll have a meter stand set up in the back and they'll just go to the shop of any grower and and either show them you know the differences between different meters or they'll just run their meters right there at their farm and put them back on the planter it's like a sales tool right there in itself if you're going on a guy that doesn't have v-set or or precision meters or hasn't done work on his meters, that's an opportunity to be as a sales tool as well. Yeah. yeah. That's one of the ones that's been shared back with me a few times over the years from, from dealers who have the trailer and will do it on site is it's such a great avenue to just build that relationship with the customer and, and get the conversation going of, hey, what were, you, what were you struggling with? What are you working on? What's your plans for this year? Just to get to know what they're struggling with. So, while you're working and doing the meters, they're curious, and you can pass along some of what you know and your experience, and that'll give them better tools in spring. At the same time, you know if something comes out and available on the market that they may not have seen, but you know they're struggling with a problem. It's just a great, great touch point, great time to spend. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure there's definitely a lot of 
you know, dealer grower interaction at that point. Great. Is that, that becomes back to, I think we were talked about in some in earlier uh, episodes about being the expert for the customer, being the friend of the customer and, and developing that relationship and, and always being a person that they may not always write you a check when you show up on the farm, but they always leave with value from you. And that's the opportunity to do that. We're talking about being the expert and dropping some knowledge. Number one thing on a meter you can do to safeguard or improve performance. Number one thing I would say would probably be running on a stand, like we've already talked about. Prep, service, calibration <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, other than that, we're looking at running some sort of graphite talc mix. So if I have a, an E-set meter or a, a VAC V-set meter, right, I'm looking at running an 80-20 mix. Now, I also just, we have a 70-30 mix also. We've always had an 80-20 mix. Big push came for a 70-30 for some stickier seed treatments that people were kind of running into. That was a, a big push, and also it was just the humidity. Like with a standard V-set running through a CCS system, there were some times where seed could get stuck, and we just had a hard time flowing seed. So break it down. You've you've thrown out the numbers, 80-20, talc graphite, 70-30. Break it down. What does the 80, what does the 20 mean, and what does talc do for me, and what does graphite do for me? Yeah, so... If I look at just the 80-20, that's going to be 80% talc, 20% graphite. Four parts talc, one part graphite. Correct. So that talc is going to help with that static where the graphite is going to help with lubricity. And that lubrication of the lines, that uh, slickness going down into the meter, that helps that, that seed flow. All right. So the issue we were seeing with a stickier seed treatment was that seed would kind of stick together and clump. By adding a little bit more graphite, which is what went from 20 to 30, so that's why we're a 70-30, and we still offer both. So if someone's wanting to run 80-20, that's fine. We're not trying to get anybody away from it, but know that that 70-30 is out there. So that adds just a little bit extra graphite to help with the slickness, the lubricity in all the lines and in the, in the meter itself. So... Graphite there is for moving the seed and allowing the seed to move easily. You use the word static for talc. Explain that in more more detail. Yeah, so all the plastic lines, like plastic parts, as that builds up, it can build up a static charge, which then seeds will start to cling together, um, and that's where we'll start to see some buildup, or you could see a jam or a plug in lines, and that talc helps to eliminate that static change performance in the meter as well? You said this is one of the key things we can do for meter performance. Yeah, yeah. So as that seed comes around on the disc, there's times where that seed can be, um, just due to static, kind of stuck to the disc. So that changes the release point then on the disc. Right. So once we do that, SRI, or seed release index, the percentage number goes up, which is a negative effect on, on meter performance. Okay, so let's go through the, let's go through the industry. You talked about ESET and VSET being both vacuum meters, and I want either a 70-30 or an 80-20 based on environmental seed. Right, and I'm looking at about a quarter cup per 80,000 seeds is my recommended amount that I'm putting in there. Quarter cup per bag. Yeah. Ish. Yeah, yeah. The quarter cup per 80,000 seeds is where we like to stick to. If we get 
too much more buildup in the in the bottom of the hopper or meter, that can start to clump together with humidity. So we want to make sure we're not running too much as well. So that quarter cup, though, is basically the best way to keep it on the seed but without getting buildup in the meter. Yeah, I mean, the, the goal is to have each seed coated with an e-flow or graphite talc mix but not have any residual extra e-flow or graphite talc mix it's gonna get that caked can in the fill hopper. in between the seeds. Because once it starts to fill in between the seeds and it starts to kind of gravitate down to the bottom of the hopper, that's when we start to clump together with humidity. Gotcha. It's also when it acts like a paper sand, right? Where it just, it just locks everything in tight. Yeah, yep. It'll actually just settle everything out and squeeze it so tight it can't move. Yep, so it'll lock it up. You can have some bridging issues because it's stuck to the bottom of the meter or the hopper. I have first-hand experience with that last one. <laughs> so Yeah, so that's that's a vac. Okay. And then um, we also have, like, the precision planting finger meter or any finger meter. Those, we don't want to run talc in them. It can be pretty abrasive for a lot of the, the moving parts in a finger meter. For those, we're just looking at graphite. You know, one tablespoon per bag of seed is what our, our recommendation is, unless there's a big... Um, um, a large amount of sticky seed treatment on them. And then in that case, we'll say, you know, maybe up to two tablespoons. Two tablespoons. Tablespoons. That's yeah. that's a pretty small amount. A little bit goes a long way. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. That actually brings to mind some stuff we've encountered. Now, that's for a finger meter, but in, in different countries, we've come across where there's a lot of high graphite where they actually don't use talc. Talc is very expensive and hard to get. And so they're using graphite in a vacuum meter, and that's all they're using, and they're using a large quantity of it trying to force it through. That causes a lot of issues within just a vac system by itself because you're still getting the static, but you're having a tough time moving stuff around. And I think that used to be the full recommendation because I can remember younger out on the farm and graphite was all we had. Like that's what we were told to put in our meter. Okay, so I think slowly, you know, as you become a little bit more educated and run through more trials, you'll see, okay, I think I need to be running a talc graphite mix. I think there's a lot of benefit to doing that. And when I, my experience is that you actually, the graphite coats stuff so thick that it just creates it so the seed won't move. When it's over-applied. When it's over-applied. On a vacuum system, you sucked all that. You actually suck the graphite into the, the bottom of the hopper. You work it all the way through, and you actually get it stuck in the box, and you can't get stuff to move. It's about like so, uh, oiling a chain. You right. can get it. You can get it lubricated, and it's nice. Right. But if you over lubricate it, now it's a dirt magnet and dust right. magnet. So there, there is too much of a good thing there. We get a common question every year on seed lubricants and their impact on organic, non-GMO, talc graphite. Is this organic approved? It is. It is. Yes, it is organically approved. Okay. Um, it is not. There is nothing in it that would hinder an organic grower from using it. Do you guys, and this is not our wheelhouse, but do you guys know on the others, the other seed lubricants, the dust and the um, fluency agent? I don't know. I don't know. I've never actually done the research on those to see if they are. Fair enough. Um, My gut would say that one one is soybean dust. I'm pretty sure that one is. That's that's probably organic. Yeah, I would assume. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure on on the fluency. I don't know for certain on the fluency agent, but I do know that our e-flow, either 70-30 or 80-20, um, and the graphite as well is kosher as far as is okay to be used for certified organics. Awesome. Or non-GMOs. All right. I think we are covered all our topics for the day. Sounds Ryan, good. Thanks Sounds so much good. for coming. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. 
Paul, thanks so much for joining in. You had good, uh, appreciate all the conversations and rabbit trails we took us down. You added a lot to our conversation today. I appreciate it. I love, I love taking the wide side trails there. I know <laughs> it. That's one reason I always like to have you on the pod, <laughs> on the podcast, on the show. You're great to have on there. Um, for you, Odds Are Dealers, thanks again for tuning in today. I appreciate you guys taking time out of your day to listen to us, and uh, I hope you enjoyed today. I hope you learned something from it. Uh, just a reminder that we would love to interact with you guys. Send us a, an email to smartereveryseason at precisionplanning.com. Uh, the four of us that are generally planning these ep- uh, episodes are would love to hear from you, to hear your input on it. Um, just a reminder, uh, subscribe to our podcast if you are enjoying it. Uh, anywhere you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Overcast. Thanks so much for listening, and we will see you again next week.